Equipping today's college students to make their four years count for eternity. This is the Campus Outreach Podcast. Some of you are probably wondering, this is a big debate on campus. Who is the most famous West Georgia alumni of all time? Did you guys ever talk about this? Conversations in the cafeteria. You're wondering, right? We're all destined to be rich and famous. That's why you came to the West. But who is the most influential graduate from West Georgia? You guys got any opinions? Okay, so I've, I've been here. I've been working with CO for 17 years. So I've met a lot of these famous alumni. But uh, if you're big into politics, you might mention Newt Gingrich. Anybody know who that is? Okay, Newt Gingrich. He was the Speaker of the House. He was a former West Georgia professor. Okay, if you're into hip-hop, you might mention Little Nas X. Okay, believe it or not. He actually lived in a dorm about 200 yards from here. Okay, remember meeting him when he was a freshman. Okay, I, I, I actually helped him with Old Town Road before Billy Ray was actually made, you know, on SoundCloud. Right now, I don't really do the rap, the hip-hop, I'm more country. We also have who? Zach Brown. Anybody like chicken fried? Okay. Here's actually another one. You know, now, now future soon-to-be famous alumni, Pate Hogan. Great testimony. That's great. I mean, did y'all just did y'all see that picture? Like future, what, politician, mayor, investment banker? I'm not sure, man, but that picture was strong. Let's go to the next slide. Uh, you might have heard of this guy, a guy named Creflo Dollar. Anybody heard of him? Okay, he actually pastors a, a mega church in Atlanta. Uh, and he made the news last year. Does anybody know why? Because he asked people in America to donate $65 million because he had heard a word from the Lord and God had instructed him that he needed to travel the world, preach the good news, just like me in a Gulfstream 650. Here's actually what Pastor Dollar had to say. He said, God has told me that I need a long range, high speed, intercontinental jet aircraft. It is a tool that is necessary to fulfill my mission in ministry. And maybe you've seen stories like this before, but high profile pastors who seem to be a little greedy and they get caught maybe embezzling or misappropriating funds. And to be honest with you, in today's day and age, you don't have to look far. There's high profile pastors, preachers, leaders that are coming under fire. Here, here's some headlines just over the past two years. Uh, I've read about uh, pastors uh, being, being caught in homosexual affairs, uh, pastors with meth addictions, Pastors that were verbally abusive, uh, pastors that were alcoholics. And this problem isn't just a recent problem. This has been actually, if you take any sort of world history at some point, you come across world events, okay, where the church or Christians are doing horrible things in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm talking about murder and slavery and segregation. They use the name of Jesus. To justify awful, terrible, wicked, violent things. And as a result, if you ask most people today, if you just interviewed a man on the street, just normal, everyday people, and you ask them this question, is the church full of hypocrites? 72% of our world, our culture, our society would say yes. The church is full of hypocrites. And this question isn't just historical, and it's not just in the headlines. This is also a personal question. Because for most of you, I'd probably say that, you know, if you've been walking with Jesus or attending church for more than a couple of years, you could probably say this. I know somebody who lives a double life. I know a hypocrite. 
I've seen somebody maybe attend church or come to campus outreach, be involved with the ministry, be in a leadership position, and I know what they do on the weekends. Or I know about this secret life. I know about this double standard that they embrace. Or maybe it's even more personal. You feel like on some days, maybe your worst days, maybe I'm a hypocrite. Because there's something I'm struggling with that I've never told anybody. Where I go to Bible study, I show up to the gathering, and I still can't kick this addiction. I still have this secret sin that I haven't told anyone about. So the question we're going to answer this evening, if Christianity is true, then why does it seem like there's so many hypocrites in the church? Anybody ever wondered that? Okay. But here's really the question we're getting to. If Jesus really changes people from the inside out, then why does it seem like there's so many bad examples? So we're going to address this idea of hypocrisy or being a hypocrite in the church. And I'm not just going to give you my opinion. I'm going to give you what Jesus himself thinks about hypocrisy. Here's the good news. Jesus actually defines hypocrisy for us. Let's go to the next slide. The word hypocrite, let's go back one. Okay? In the original language, what it literally means, it means to be an actor. To actually put on a mask. So when someone is engaging in hypocrisy, they're being two-faced. They're playing a part. They're trying to pretend or act as if they're somebody that they, aren't really, that they are not really. And Jesus talks about hypocrisy seven to- 17 times in the book of Matthew. So what does that tell us? Well, there's hypo- hypocrites today. But if Jesus talked about it 17 times, what does that tell you? There was hypocrites then. There was hypocrites in Jesus' day. We'll come to see there were hypocrites in the Old Testament. And Jesus talks about it a lot, particularly in the book of Matthew. So let's go to the next slide. I'm going to look at a couple passages right here where Jesus directly addresses the concept or the topic of hypocrisy. So read with me in Matthew 6. It says this. When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you. As a, there are, there's our word, hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners, that they may be seen by others. There's a good clue right there. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. And when you fast, that's deliberately avoiding a meal. He says, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites. They disfigure their face that their fasting may be seen by others. Now, do you understand what Jesus is saying right here? He talks, he's talking about people who are highly religious. People who are giving and praying and fasting, but they do it in a very public way. So when they give, they sound the trumpet. They let everybody know that we're giving, we're sacrificing, we're donating our money. And when they pray, they don't just pray alone like in their rooms. They do it on the street corners and the synagogues. These are high traffic areas. They want to be seen. They want people to see them, you know, with the prayer hands actually praying to God. And when they fast, they sort of disfigure their face. They look sad. They look hungry so that people will think, wow, this person is extremely spiritual. So do you understand what Jesus is saying right here? He's saying these people are obeying me. They're doing religious activities. But the reason why they're obeying God is what? They want to be seen by other people. They're trying to build an image, a reputation of spirituality. They're trying to brand themselves, platform themselves as highly spiritual people. And Jesus says, this is the essence of hypocrisy. 
Let's go to the next one. This is Matthew 7. Jesus says, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly and take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, Jesus right here, okay, if passage one was dealing with hypocrisy in, in, in our obedience or our religious acts, this is hypocrisy in relationships. And it, it's hard to understand, but this is a crazy metaphor that, or picture that Jesus is painting. He's saying, imagine two people are in a conflict, and one of them has a little speck in their eye. Think like sawdust. Think a little twig or maybe a toothpick. And the other person has a log or a beam. This is like a railroad tie. It's like a two by four. And the person with the big log in their eye is they're focused, they're obsessed with removing the sin or the little speck from the other eye. You see what I'm saying? And Jesus says, this is hypocrisy. Okay, now how many of you, like since you've come to West Georgia at some point, you had a little conflict with a classmate? Could have been a teammate, could have been a roommate, could have been a friend or former friend. Okay, we got a bunch of liars in the room. Okay, everybody has conflict. Okay, everybody has conflict. And do you see what Jesus says hypocrisy is? He says when you got beef, when there's a little bit of drama, okay, it's when you become overly critical, you become judgmental, and you start obsessing over their sin, and you don't deal with your own sin. Jesus says that's hypocrisy. So guys, this is really practical right here. If you're having a conflict with a family member or a teammate or a former friend, okay, and you want to reconcile, whose sin do you deal with first, according to Jesus? You look in the mirror and you start with yourself. Jesus says it's hypocritical or you're a hypocrite, okay, if you get angry and frustrated and you don't repent of your own sin. And you see why this is so practical when you've got a beam in your eye? Can you see things clearly? You can't. Okay? And also, when you deal with your sin, it humbles you. It gives you patience. It gives you compassion. And now you approach this person with kindness. Okay? Third and final verse. This is Matthew 15. Jesus says this. We've got an exclamation point. He's yelling. He's screaming. He's passionate. He says, you hypocrites. He says, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people, pay attention, honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. This is a pretty good summary statement. Jesus is quoting the Old Testament, but he says, the essence of hypocrisy is when you praise God, glorify Him publicly, you, you sing the hill song, your favorite praise songs, and yet your heart is far, far, far away from God. And we do this so often. We post about God on social media, we, we let people know the verse of the day on Instagram. You know, we put our favorite Bible verse on our wrist tape, on our tattoos. You know, we make a big shot. We score a touchdown. We point to the heavens. You put on your cross necklace. You get the Jesus piece. And yet, your heart is still in love with the world. You don't love God. Instead, you just love appearing godly. Those are two different things. Later on in this same passage, Jesus says, if that's your heart... What you are essentially is you're a whitewashed tomb. You ever heard that before? Think about what a tomb is. It's a graveyard. It's a gravestone. A tomb is something that holds dead, decaying bones. Now, a whitewashed tomb has a fresh coat of paint. It looks good on the exterior. It looks brand new. But inside, deep down, in its heart of hearts, it's death. 
And this is what Jesus is saying. If you're trying to cultivate this persona, this virtual image, this platform of being godly, and yet you don't worship God personally, privately, in your own heart, you're just a whitewashed tomb. And so this is where we got to be careful. Okay, This is where we got to be careful. Because if you're going to find hypocrites on this campus, where are they not going to be? They're not at the tab. They're not at the pub. They're not getting lit on a Thursday night. If you're a hypocrite, where are you going to be on Tuesday night? You're going to be right here at the campus outreach meeting. You're going to be at church on Sunday. Okay? Because this is the essence of, of, of hypocrisy, is when we show up to the public worship, but we don't worship God personally. So this is how Christ summarizes it. He says, you want to know what hypocrisy is? Okay? Hypocrisy is this. Give me one second. Um, hypocrisy is this. It, it, it's when you obey God, but you do it for the praise of men. It's when you focus on other people's sin and you don't repent of your own sin. And it's when you honor God with your lips, but your heart is far from me. Okay, so we're going to press pause right now. This is the halftime moment where I throw out another question. So just talk amongst yourself for a couple minutes. How is Christ's definition of hypocrisy potentially different than what you thought before you came to this meeting? So agree, disagree, let's just talk about it. What do you think about hypocrisy and how does this line up with what Jesus is saying about being a hypocrite? So first off, we, we defined what hypocrisy is. Okay. More importantly, we got to Jesus and how he defines hypocrisy. Now, now we're going to zoom out a little bit and just talk about what the Bible says. I'm going to directly answer this question of why does it seem like the church is so full of hypocrites? So here's what the Bible says. The Bible says it's about all humanity. You, me, every other person who's walked planet Earth, we are all sinners. Do y'all agree with that? If you don't believe me, okay, babysit my kids for like more than an hour, you realize very quickly they are bent on themselves. And if we're all sinners, all humans are sinners, and this includes church attenders. Do you agree with that? This is especially true in the South. There are many people who claim to be Christians. There are many people who post on Instagram. There are many people who wear cross necklaces who don't actually know Jesus Christ. You ever thought about that? This is especially true in the Southeast. And just so you know, this doesn't surprise Jesus. Because here's what Jesus says in Matthew 7. And Pate, that was a great poll, man, on Matthew 7. But Jesus also says this. He says, there will be a day when many, when, when many say to me, uh, did we not prophesy in your name? That means predict the future. Did we not cast out demons in your name? That means engage in spiritual warfare. Did we not also perform many mighty works in your name? That means perform miracles. And Jesus responds to them. He says, depart from me. I never knew you. Isn't that interesting? He didn't say I knew you for a little bit and then I forgot about you. I knew you for a moment when you were living right and now I don't. He says, there was not a moment, not a day when I had a saving relationship with you. Jesus actually predicts that there will be ministry leaders, people who have platforms and in positions of spiritual influence who don't have a saving relationship with him. And guess what? He calls them false prophets and wolves in sheep's clothing. Jesus predicts in our day and age that there will be false teachers and false leaders. And we see this today. Because guys, just let me zoom out and remind you that no Christian is perfect, myself included. And no Christian will be perfect until we enter heaven or Jesus returns. And every single person in this room has hypocritical moments and behaviors and tendencies. But this is true for the whole world. 
None of us live up to our own standards. Would you agree with that? Let me give you an example. Okay, I'm a parent. I'm a dad. I've got two kids. And so whenever my kids get into the car, what's rule number one? Hey, kids, you got to what? You got to buckle up. Okay, you got to buckle up. Okay, and my kids don't like buckling up, but that's rule number one. It's not just dad's rule. It's like the law. Okay. So, you know, and this is uh, this is one of the amazing things. Like if you really want to see how inconsistent and hypocritical you are, like have kids. Okay, they will point it out in a heartbeat. So last week we're like driving and I've got the sweetest seven year old daughter and she just quietly, sincerely says, um, Daddy, isn't our rule to always wear a seatbelt? Absolutely, Ellie. That's a great rule. I'm so glad you remembered. But Daddy, you're not wearing a seatbelt. I don't live up to my own standard. Okay? And, and eventually what happens, and maybe you had a parent or a coach or a teacher like this, they start to say silly things as like, do as I say, but not as I do. And what they're recognizing, it's hard. You guys got parents like that? Right? It's hard to live up to your own standards. And this is my reality. Guess what I do every week? I stand on stage and I preach sermons that I can't live up to. You ever thought about that? Like, like I'm calling you to live and act and obey. And I can't even live up to my own advice. But don't you guys fail to live up to your own advice as well? I mean, how many of you have had a friend come to you and you're like, hey, you just got to forgive her. You need to forgive her. And yet, you know, deep down, you're harboring bitterness towards somebody else in your circle. Right. Somebody comes to you advice. They're like stressed out and anxious. And you're like, hey, man, you just you got to get off social media or you got to stress less. And you know that deep down you're full of anxiety and you don't follow your own advice. Like there, there are different things like you might say to somebody, they come for relationship advice. You need to break up with this person. You need to wait for Mr. Right. And you know, okay, that you're making the same mistakes. The reality is, all right, we're all inconsistent in different moments of our life. Now, the Bible does hold spiritual leaders to a especially high calling. In James 3, it says this, leaders are judged with greater strictness. And this is what's so disorienting when we see that especially like ministers and pastors fail, the impact is so severe. It's so serious. But the reality is this, is that Christians are capable of all sorts of sin. But Christians relate to sin differently than the world. For example, when it comes to temptation, I try to avoid it. I try to resist it. I try to fight it and I try to hate it. And when I do sin and I sin each and every day, I never embrace a lifestyle of unrepentant sin. And when I do sin, I try to turn from it. I ask forgiveness and I repent. So here's what I want you to understand. When Christians sin, okay, they don't do it long term. And there's a big difference between striving and struggling and fumbling forward and failing okay, to reach perfection and total hypocrisy. Those are two different things. So once again, just to summarize... All Christians are sinners, but not all Christians are hypocrites. More importantly, Jesus was not a hypocrite and he hated hypocrisy. So there's a pretty famous quote. You guys are familiar with a guy named Gandhi. Okay, Uh, very influential historical figure. He broke down apartheid in India and uh, he was a Hindu, I believe. And he said this about Jesus Christ. He said this to some Christians. He said, I like your Christ, 
but I don't like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. You understand what he's saying? He says, I like your Christ. I don't like your Christians. So imagine just for a moment, you're sitting across the table from Gandhi. How would you respond? What would you say? How would you respond to that statement? I would point to history. I would say politely, delicately to Mr. Gandhi. I would say, Mr. Gandhi, have you benefited from hospitals and universities? Well, guess who created those? Christians in the Middle Ages. I would say to the students, you know, do you like to read? Do you, do you appreciate the printing press and that everybody in this room is literate and that we all now have public education for the masses? Well, guess whose idea that was? Christians. And are we glad that we abolished slavery and we reversed segregation in Georgia and the United States? Where did that begin? That began in the church. The leaders like Pastor Martin Luther King Jr. and Pastor Ralph Abernathy. And do we appreciate that women have been elevated and that we have a high regard for human life? Where did that idea come from? It came from Jesus. You know, this is in 2014. So often people point as Christians as being hypocrites. But every year, Time Magazine will run a, uh, an annual cover of the person of the year. This is the person of the year from 2014. These are called the Ebola fighters. And what they were, you can see that down in the corner. It was a group of doctors who started an organization called Doctors Without Borders. And these were wealthy individuals living in suburbs in America, and they saw an outbreak in North Africa, in a third world country, and they sacrificed their lives, they risked, they moved to Africa to put down, okay, this virus. And here's what's really interesting. Doctors Without Borders, it's a Christian organization. And Time Magazine goes on to call them not only the people of the year, but ones who answered the call. So here's what I'd say. If you study history... There are certainly moments where people do horrible and wicked things in the name of Jesus. They probably didn't know the real Jesus. But if you study the whole of human history, the good of Christians far outweighs the bad. And most of the church, not all the church, but most of the church is full of faithful men and women who love Jesus. You can think about it this way. You can think about airplane flights. Okay, think about airplane flights just for a moment. When's the last time you got maybe on your news feed? You know, you opened a newspaper and you saw the headline was Delta flight from Atlanta to Orlando landed safely. You may have read that headline. OK, why is that? Because it's not newsworthy. It doesn't make the front page. It's not a headline when airplanes do exactly what they're supposed to do, supposed to do. But what do make the headlines? What do pop up on your news feed when there's a crash? A malfunction when something goes wrong. Now, by and large, 99.99% of all flights are safe. But occasionally, there's a disaster. And I would just say in the same way, what grabs the headlines of our culture are when pastors crash and burn. When Christians make a wreck out of their life. But let's not ignore the 99.99% of the church that is just flying smoothly, that is safe. And holy and obedient. They just don't make the headlines. So a majority of the church is full of holy pastors and leaders and elders and deacons and Christians. 
And they far, 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 far outweigh the hypocrites. They just don't make the headlines. Let me just summarize it this way. We said this. A hypocrite is somebody who obeys God to be seen by others. They deal with the sin of others, but not their own. They love to appear godly, but they don't actually love God. Because they're putting on a mask. They're actors. And here's what hypocrites get right. Okay? They recognize that there's some sin in their life. There's some disobedience. There's some insecurity. And it needs to be covered up. It needs to be masked. It needs to be dealt with. I don't want other people to see it. But here's the problem, and this is what hypocrites get wrong, is we can't cover our sin. We can't mask our sin. So the question is, what do we do with our sin? How do we cover it? How do we deal with it? Let's look at this verse right here in 1 John 1.8. It says this, If we say we have no sin or embrace hypocrisy, we're lying to ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He, that's Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Brothers and sisters, do you understand? Christians, we don't cover our sin. We confess our sin. We don't hide our weakness. We share our weakness. Our sin is not covered by our performance and our religiosity and our campus outreach attendance. Our sin is covered by Jesus. And this is what makes the church, the Christian community so unique. Let's go to the next slide. Have you ever thought about this? Think about the different organizations that are represented here. Okay? You, you want to join a sports team at West Georgia? You got to ball out. You got to have a great 40 time. You got to have a great shot. You got to be able to make the team. You want to join a Greek organization? You got to show your extracurriculars and your leadership potential. You, you want to join like an elite academic group? You, you got to show that you belong. Does anybody know the one requirement to join the church of Jesus Christ? Do you know what you say first? The first thing you do is you say, I don't deserve it. You admit that you're a sinner. Believe it or not, I'm actually like a pastor at a church called King's Chapel. It's right past Walmart. I'll give a shameless plug. I'm preaching on Sunday. You ought to come check it out. But oftentimes, uh, we have people join our church. They become members. And these are actually the three questions that we ask them before they join or commit to the local church. Did you see the first one? Do you acknowledge that you're a sinner? The second one is this. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? The third is this. Okay. Are you going to live as a follower of Jesus to the best of your ability? Are you going to obey, live in community so that you don't embrace a hypocritical lifestyle? But listen to me. Do you see what that says about the church? This is why the church is so unique. I mean, imagine just for a moment, like going to Tanner Hospital and you're like roaming the halls and you look around and you're like, why are there so many sick people here? Like everybody has a cast on, getting x-rays, you know, Brock's making all that money. But why are there so many sick people? You probably put that to, and you're like, that's the point. It's the purpose. I mean, imagine going to the football, football field this Saturday at 7 p.m. You're like, why is everybody wearing red and blue? Why are they cheering so loud? What, what, why, why is everybody screaming? Because they're fans. That's the point. So look, when you step into a church and you look around, you're like, why are there so many sinners? Exactly. That's the point. That's the purpose of the church. And here's the deal. It, it, for some of you, you're trying to find that perfect church here in Carrollton. And I hate to break it to you. It doesn't exist. 
And it's not because we're a small town. See, there's no perfect churches because there's no perfect people. And even let's say you did find the perfect church with the sinless pastor and the holy choir. Guess what? The moment you join, it's no longer perfect because you're a sinner. So, guys, this is what the church is. The church is a group of people who are sinners who say that I am saved by the grace of God. I'm a sinner. I've been saved by Jesus. The church is a work in progress, and so are you. And until Jesus returns, there will always be hypocrisy. But we have to do everything we can to fight sin, pursue holiness, and live like Jesus Christ. And here's the kicker, okay? We're still talking to Mr. Gandhi right here. And I'd say, hey, Mr. Gandhi, was Jesus a hypocrite? Was Jesus a, is a hypocrite? Because here's, a th- here's the point. Like, whether Christianity is true as a religion, it doesn't depend on the behavior of the church. It doesn't depend on the actions of Christians. It depends on one man and one man only, and his name is Jesus. In other words, Christianity does not rise or stand or fall on how Christians act, but on how Jesus acted. And the failure of Christians does not invalidate what is true. The truth is this. Jesus was not a hypocrite. Do you know this? At the end of Jesus' life, he, he, he actually went on trial. And it was a sham. It was a kangaroo court. He was falsely accused. And a bunch of hypocrites pointed at him. And this is the question they asked. They said, or Jesus turned to him and he says, Who convicts me of sin? Do you understand what Jesus is asking? He's saying, can anybody name a sin? Just one. One careless word. One lustful comment. One lie. One moment of laziness or anger. You know what the Bible says? They responded with silence. Because Jesus was sinless. He was perfect. He was absolutely righteousness. So here's what you got to understand. Christianity depends on one man and one man only. And that man isn't me. And it's not your Bible study leader. And it's not your grandma who reads the Bible every night. And it's not your pastor. Christianity depends on one man and that man is Jesus. And so if you don't understand that, you have a fundamental misunderstanding of the gospel. So here's how I'd summarize it. Christians aren't perfect. We just trust in the perfect one. 